So today, uh, what I'm going to do this, the, the, the talk, what I want to talk about today was wood-fired kilns. Welcome to the Potter's Roundtable, a monthly podcast where we share our passion for the ceramic arts and a collection of topics specific to potters. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Enjoy the show. Okay, construction details, some more uh, just details about different kiln construction. There are basically two, and this is current, current designs, there are really two different types or two different categories of kilns that people build now, either flat-topped or they have some kind of an arch. And so there are, there are different ways you could build some kind of a structure and basically just have a flat roof, and it could be slabs of insulation or bricks bonded together, something like that, or some kind of an arch structure. And there are two kind of arches, catenary and sprung arch. A catenary arch and a sprung arch. A catenary arch is a self-supporting arch. I've built gas kilns and wood kilns, and there isn't a bit of cement or, or steel or anything in the whole kiln. It's completely self-supporting, and they typically look like that. So that might be the arch, and then I'd have it over a base, and then maybe somewhere either here or outside I'd have a firebox, and then, but this is the wear chamber, it's a catenary arch. And a cat, the, the easiest way to, to, make a, to, to visualize a catenary, this is actually a mathematical curve, a catenary. And the easiest way to think about it is, if I take a chain and I just hang it between two points, the chain naturally forms a catenary. And so you just flip it over. And the, the, the structure, the way this, the, because of the, 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 the arrangement of the, of the chain, it's a self-supporting arch. A sprung arch is not self-supporting. So I don't need, when I, if I build a catenary, I don't need any support to hold it up. It's completely self-supporting. A catenary, uh, a sprung arch, I do. A sprung arch, I might have a, 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 a kiln chamber that looks like this, and I have an arch that looks like that. This, is, this would tend, when this, this wants to be pulled down by gravity, which means the ends want to, want to go out, I have to have some kind of support here to restrain the ends. And if I can support the ends of the arch, then the center doesn't drop. But I need some kind of side support on the arch, because otherwise this wants to drop and the, it, it wants to do this, it wants to flatten out. So as long as I can support this with some kind of, a, let's say a metal framework typically, then, I can, then the arch will, will stay up. But this is not a self-supporting arch. But so typically you'll see kilns that, this, in this case, I've got more of a box-like wear chamber with just this slightly curved roof, whereas with the catenary, I had the, the whole chamber itself had the curved roof from the arch. And generally, um, these, I think these arch kilns are more common than flat tops, and generally they're going to be one of these types, either a catenary arch or a, or a sprung arch type for the, for, the, for the wear chamber. And then the shelves would be stacked in here. But there are certain, I mean, one of the nice things about a catenary arch is by having this curve, it naturally, it's a good design for a flame because it, depending on how you orient it, the flame will naturally follow, for a downdraft, the flame will naturally follow the arch curve. So I don't have any dead corners. If I have a sprung arch and I have a low arch, this is kind of a dead area as far as gases moving through it. Whereas if I have a catenary arch, the flame naturally wants to follow the, can follow the curve. And it's a great design, for instance, for a downdraft design, to have the flame come in here, rise up, follow the, be guided by the shape of the arch, and then exit again at the bottom. One of the things to think about in terms of constructing a kiln, if you're, if you're building a kiln, if you have a building one, is 
generally, and it sounds a little weird, you, base, you start with the shelves and build out. If you're planning on building a kiln, the best way to do it is assume, figure out what kind of loading space you want or shelf space you want and what the shape of the shelves is, and then you build the kiln to accommodate that. It's much more efficient because if you're going to be buying shelves and assuming you are, let's say, silicon carbide shelves, they're only available in certain sizes. And so you need to think about what's, what do I want my loading space? How much, how much space do I want and what do I want the arrangement to be? Do I want it to be a square stack? Do I want it to be a long stack? And then you design the kiln around the shelves. And this is one of the big mistakes I've seen that people build when they build a kiln and then they try to fit shelves into it afterward and they're only available in certain sizes unless you want to cut them, which you can do, but it's, it's not as efficient. So it really, I found works better is start from the, build the kiln from the inside out. Think about the shelf space, the loading space you want and the, and the arrangement and then think about what kind of kiln you, what kind of effects, we'll talk more about this, excuse me, what kind of effects you want the kiln to produce and then design outward. Different kiln designs produce different kinds of effects with wood. They don't all produce the same kind of wear. So you also have to think about what kind of work do you want to produce. In terms of materials, one of the issues with, with wood kilns is they all need to be made with, with, with dense or hard fire bricks. You know, there are two kinds of bricks basically that are used to construct kilns, what are called insulating fire bricks, which are these light sort of crunchy, very lightweight bricks. And they're great insulation, but they don't resist ash at all. They'll, they'll just, they'll dissolve in the ash. So basically, at least the interior, the whole interior of a wood burning kiln has to be made out of hard bricks or dense fire bricks. Um, the problem, and they're, they're great because they're strong, they're also expensive, but they're, they're great structural bricks. But the problem is also they're terrible insulators. They're horrible insulation. You need them to resist the ash because the ash from the, the, ash from the wood is going to land on everything in the kiln. And if you get hot enough, it'll actually melt, or at least the ash will melt, and it reacts with everything that it touches. So if it lands on the bricks, it'll actually start attacking and eating into the bricks. At least it'll coat the bricks, if nothing else. So... You've got, to have, you've got to use hard bricks, um, which again, and the problem, and they, this, they means they, they have to be high temperature bricks. Typically they need, you want some, if you can, you want something that will resist, there are what are called high alumina bricks. <laughs> aluminum, ox, aluminum oxide, the short, the nickname for it is alumina, that's aluminum oxide. And if you get bricks that are high in aluminum oxide, they tend to resist the corrosion or the attack by the ash. So you, you, you can't just use any kind of bricks to build a wood kiln. You have to use sort of more specialized kind of bricks to build the kiln. And at the same time, they're terrible insulation. So the other thing is just about construction details as far as the kiln is, you need, if you're thinking about building one, is you need a shelter. You need a shelter over the kiln to protect it from the weather. And you also need, and, and you also need a shelter, if, you if you're gonna have firewood, you need some place to store your wood. So you need a shelter, some place to shelter to store your wood so that your wood stays dry. One of the reasons why you need the shelter over the kiln, among other things, is the fact that if the kiln is exposed to, wood, to the weather for a long period of time, the bricks will absorb water, and then you can blow up your bricks when you heat up the kiln. You can, you, the, the, the face of the bricks will blow off if you heat it up too fast, and it takes a long time. The bricks are still, they look dense, but they can still absorb moisture slowly, and, it's, and it, you have to heat it up for a long time to drive that heat back out, or the, the water back out. And in most cases, you won't get it out. You'll blow up, you'll blow your bricks. The faces blow off. So you, the, the thing with that is you just, you don't want to let your kiln get wet. 
in the first place, which means you need a shelter. Part of the kiln structure is you need a, you need a shelter over the kiln. Okay, just some, operate, some information, just some miscellaneous sort of things about, about operating a, a kiln. Um, one of the things with, one of the, the different features about firing with a wood kiln is you have to, you can't put all the pots right on the shelves. All the pots are generally supported on what are called wads. And if you haven't seen wads, I'll pass these around. These are used wads. They're just little pellets of clay. So every single pot you load into the kiln is supported on some kind of little system of wadding or something to keep it up off the shelf. And the idea is these are, these are made out of different mixtures of things, but the idea is if these stick to the pot, you can knock them off the pot if you have to, or you can grind them off the pot, but they're relatively soft. They don't get as hard as, and, and dense as the rest of the clay, so they're removable. They're also remo they're disposable, basically. Because especially, like, in this, like Mike's talking about, if you get a lot of ash collecting on your shelves, your pots would just be glued to the shelf. Okay, so you have to, one of the, if you haven't seen them, I'll pass those around. You have to use some, and there are, there are all kind of recipes out there for different wadding mixtures, and everybody claims they got the best wadding mix, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So that's one, that's one feature about wood firing, is all the, you have to, this is another step you have to do. You have to prepare the wadding, and then all the pots are supported on wad in, and so if you have pots, for instance, that have lids on them, then the pot is supported on the shelf, and then the, the lid is separated from the pot with wads. And you have to think about, depending on the size of the piece, how you're gonna support it. If you don't have enough wads and the clay starts to soften in the firing, it'll droop. So you have to think about how many wads do I need under the piece and the size of the piece to properly support it. Because you don't want it to sag and sort of bend over the, over the wads, especially with platters, for example. Yeah. Um, the other th another point in terms of operation is, I mentioned, I alluded to this before, Stacking has a really big effect on the flame path. And this is part of the art, frankly, of wood firing, is learning how, with a particular kiln, how do you arrange the pots in terms of size and width and proportions and the, sh and the spacing between the shells. Because basically what you're doing is, the flame is coming into the wear chamber and then you're guiding it in certain directions. And you, you want, if you want it to go into, past a certain pots or over a certain pots in a certain way, then you do that by, by spacing the shelves and spacing the pots and the size of the pots. And so if I have, if I know I have a kiln, for instance, where I tend to get the draft wants to go and I get a, a hot spot, I might actually put more pots there and, and, and slightly block it and cause the flame to go somewhere else. So I can, I can deflect the flame by putting the pots in there. Or if I have open channels, I can get the, the flame is, the other thing is, You'll see a lot of discussion. I've seen a lot in, in some articles. They talk as if the flame has a mind of its own. The only thing the flame wants to do is, is it's going to get out of the, it's going to take the shortest possible path to the exit. And so all you can do is to sort of divert it and slow it down and make it move around and don't let it take the straight shot to the exit. But in any kind of a kiln, that's what the flame is going to do. It's going to come in and it's going to head for the exit as soon as possible. And so. By, by moving the pots around and changing the shelf, I'm, def I'm, I'm preventing it from maybe making a straight shot. I, make, I, 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 make, I kick it up higher in the kiln or I move it around. And so you're controlling that to a huge extent by how you load your kiln. And this is really an art. It really takes, it, it takes some experience with a kiln to learn what's the best way to loan this kiln. Where do I get the best results in the kiln? By how do I stack it? Okay. Generally, with, with wood kilns, you, you preheat the kiln in some way. And actually, what you really want to do is you want to preheat the chimney. Because you want to, in order, in order if, you're, if, you're just, if you're just going to start a wood fire, you need to have this draft 
to pull in to get the fire to burn. So I've seen people either typically they'll put like a propane burner in the kiln and run it through, and they're not so much doing it to heat up the ware, they're using it to heat up the chimney so that they can get a draft. So you'll stick a propane burner in there, you can even be like a weed burner. I use a little raku burner, and I heat up my chimney, and then once I have enough draft, then I can start to build a fire that's where I'm actually burning the wood. Other people might just build a small campfire, like in there, like outside the kiln or near the entrance, and let that gradually you know, burn and heat up the chimney so that they start to develop a draw. It's the same way well, like if you have a fireplace. You need to start a small fire initially to start some hot air mo gas moving up the chimney to start the draw, and then as the draw improves, you can add more fuel, and then as that burns, it gets hotter, you can add more fuel, and then the size of the fire can increase. But generally, you need some way to preheat the kiln. And depending on the kiln design, you may have to do more or less preheating. If it's a downdraft, then you've got to do more preheating because if you think hot, air, hot gases want to rise, well, if I've got a kiln chamber where I'm making the gas come back down before it can go out, then I've got to create enough draft to pull it back down. So I really need, with a, with a downdraft chamber, I definitely need to preheat the, kiln, the chimney to be able to pull it out. Otherwise, the gases just accumulate in the, in the chamber and, the, and, the, and the, the fire won't burn efficiently. And so generally with a wood-fired kiln, as the, you can increase the size of the fire and the amount of the wood as the, as the draft improves. And what this leads to then at some point is you establish what's, what some people call what you call a stoking cycle. For every kiln, you go into some kind of a rhythm that's best that you learned that's best for that kiln as to how much fuel do I load, how often do I put it in. And that... And that because what, what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the, the best amount of heat out of it, and you're trying to keep the temperature to continue to rise. And that's, again, this is, this is part of the art, is knowing how much fuel to put in and when to put it in. If I put in too much fuel, it, it chokes the fire, and, you don't, and it, you might almost, it might almost go out. If I don't put in enough, it'll burn, but it'll burn very quickly, and I might not get a heat rise. Every time I put a shot of fuel into the kiln, it burns, and I, get a, and I get a surge of heat, and then the heat sort of dies down as the fuel is dying down. And that, so I've got to get more fuel in there again to keep the fire going. So part of what you're doing is when you're firing this is establishing this stoking cycle. How much wood, what's the, and it depends on the size of the wood, what kind of wood it is, and how often I put it in. In terms of, again, going back to this operation, the, the kiln design and the size of the kiln, in terms of the heating rate, how fast you can heat the kiln up, the kiln design itself and the size of the kiln limit the heating rate, basically. I mean, really, really big, big wood kilns, you simply can't heat them up quickly, you just because you can't get them hot enough. So the, 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 the structure of the kiln itself limits how quickly you can, you can fire the kiln. I've, I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in that there's no, there's, there's no reason not to heat up the kiln really fast. I'm not single firing. Single firing is where you basically, you don't do bisque firing, you put the pots in and you just, and you just, you're essentially doing a bisque firing in the early part of the firing. Are you, have you all heard of that term, single firing? Or once firing? But, but, but where, where you're bisque firing, I've never seen a problem with, with heating it up fast. I did a firing years ago where I, I started stoking at 8.30 in the morning and I was at cone 10 at 10.30. And there were no problems, no problems at all. So to me, it was bisque fire, but to me, I want to, get, I want to heat up the kiln as fast as I can because nothing's happening while I'm heating it up. I'm just heating it up. So I want to get up to high enough temperatures where I can start to melt ash and start to get some flashing and start to get some effects, and then I can slow it down. Um, but, but, the, but the ability to do that depends to a great extent on the design of the kiln. 
if I don't have an efficient firebox, if I don't have an efficient kiln design, no matter how much fuel I put in there, I simply can't raise the temperature quickly. So I'm the kiln design has a big effect on my ability to heat up the, the kiln quickly. And then when you're actually stoking in a wood kiln typically, is everybody familiar with the term reduction? This is basically where you're burning a fuel, but you don't have enough air to completely burn on the fuel. And the only reason why you fire in reduction, really, is color. That's the only reason to fire in reduction. Because everything else is the same, essentially. So you're looking for different color changes in the clay and different glazes and ash effects and flashing and so forth. But, so when you're firing a wood kiln, typically, when you throw in, a, when you do a stoke, you go into a very heavy reduction before that wood actually sort of catches fire. And you sort of, you're cooking the flame. And then when it catches and it's burning vigorously, then you go into a lighter reduction. You're, you're not, you have, you have more, you're, you're getting more efficient burning. So typically when you're firing a wood kill, you're going between heavy reduction and lighter reduction. Every time you stoke, you go into heavy reduction and you get a lot of smoke out of the chimney. And then, the, and then it sort of clears and the wood really catches and burns. And then you get the most heat and then you go into a lighter reduction. So you're not even usually heating in constant state of reduction or oxidation. It's alternating. It's going heavy, light, heavy, light, heavy, light, depending on how on as you stoke. So you sort of get a wavy heat rise. Because when you're, when you're burning the fuel inefficiently, when you're not burning it completely and you're in re heavy reduction, then you're not getting the most heat out of it. So you tend, so you're sac generally one of the things you're also doing when you're firing a wood kiln, you're trying to balance heat rise with reduction. Because in order to get reduction, by definition, you're not burning the fuel efficiently, right? You've got excess fuel and not enough air. So you're not getting the most heat out of it that you could, but you're getting the reduction atmosphere, which is what you want. But in order to get the heat rise, to get the temperature to climb, you can't be in super heavy reduction all the time or the temperature wouldn't go anywhere. So one of the tricks of firing a wood kiln is you're trying to balance a certain amount of reduction and yet still get enough burning that the temperature continues to rise. And that's one of the sort of the tricks of, of firing any wood kiln is, is that balance. Is how do I, get an, how do I keep reduction or, not, or get enough reduction but still get temperature rise? I can get temperature rise really fast if I essentially produce oxidizing conditions and just have a ton of air in there and I burn the fuel really quickly, I might not get good reduction. I can get a great heat rise, but I won't get good reduction. And in a lot of cases, people want the reduction as well, not just the heat rise. So the reduction in the heating rate, just kind of, I, I, I mentioned already, are affected by the stoking cycle, the timing even, um, the type and the size of wood, the amount of wood, and the air inlet control also is. In order to, in order to fire a wood kiln efficiently and properly, you need to control the air. You don't just let in any amount of air that wants to go in. You have to have openings that you can control it, increase the amount of air or let it down. Or, or decrease it. And so that's, an, that's another important feature of kiln design. You don't just have an open area where, where the air can just rush in. You, you have to have openings that you can close or partially close to control. And all of those affect the heating rate and the, and the amount of reduction you get. The other, the, one good feature though about just about wood kilns in general is um, you can combine them with, with salt and soda firings. And this is fairly common. A lot of times what people will do is if they have a multi, is everybody familiar with salt or soda firing? The idea was you put salt, sodium chloride or soda in and you get these other flashing effects and glaze fluxing effects. So this is fairly common if you have a multi-chambered kiln is to have one, the first chamber, let's say two chambers, the first chamber will be pure wood and the second chamber will be salt or soda. And so you can, that's a nice feature about, about wood or gas, but you can combine, you can have salt or soda combined with it, especially in a multi-chambered kiln. 
We hope you're enjoying the show. Please take a moment to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps new listeners find the show. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates as new episodes are released. And if you'd like to support the video and podcast production of the Potter's Roundtable, become a patron. Go to patreon.com and search for the Potter's Roundtable. Your support will help us achieve our goal of creating a digital library spanning the ceramic arts for use by educators and artists alike. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. And the last thing just to mention is, in terms of firing, is that you also, when you finish the firing, you, close, you have to close up the kiln really tightly because you don't want to pull air in and re-oxidize a lot of the, especially some of the flashing effects, you can really lose them. Flashing is this, this, surface, this surface coloration, you, you, like this is flashing on a pot. And you can lose that, you can re-oxidize it. And so one of the things at the end of a wood firing is you need to be able to clam up the kiln really tightly so that air doesn't get pulled in, especially when it's really, really hot, and, and produce some re-oxidation effects, whether you have glazes or not. Some common firing problems um, that people run across. Stalling. And actually, it's interesting because this, this is actually a natural phenomenon that you're fighting. This is a law of physics that you're actually fighting. This isn't the fault of the kiln entirely or your fault entirely. And the fact, this, this has to do with, with, with actual physics. The hotter you heat something up, the faster it wants to lose heat. And so if I, as I'm heating up a kiln, I'm, putting, I'm, I'm throwing heat into the kiln, and heat is being lost from the kiln. It's coming up the chimney, it's going out the walls, it's going out all the holes. And the hotter that kiln gets, the faster that kiln wants to lose that heat. So I'm running a race, like I'm running a race up a hill, and as I get higher up the hill, the hill is getting steeper. And I have to run harder and harder and harder, and I have to stoke faster and faster and more wood and more wood, because the higher it gets, and so, and so, the, so, it's, so in a sense, if I didn't compensate for it, all kilns would naturally stall because they get up to a certain point. If I'm putting in the, the heat at a certain rate, at some temperature, that rate is not going to be enough to keep the temperature going and it's going to stall. That's just the law of physics. You can't get around that. Now, electric kilns get around it, especially these electronic controllers. They take that into consideration and they're programmed in knowing that the kiln is losing heat faster and faster as it gets hotter. So automatically, the controller puts in more heat and stays ahead of it. So that's essentially what you're doing when you're, when you're firing a wood kiln or a fuel burning kiln. Is you have to stay ahead of the fact that the kiln is losing heat faster and faster and faster. And so this, this thing we call stalling, it is a natural effect that, that occurs that you're, that you're fighting. And what you're balancing is, this is where I mentioned, you're really balancing then reduction versus, versus um, temperature rise. I've got, to get an, I've got to continue to get enough heat to come out of the wood to keep the temperature moving because a lot of it's being lost constantly, but I'm still trying to keep it in reduction maybe. And, so, and that's the struggle, is that how do, I, how, do I get, how do I keep it in reduction, how do I keep enough burning so that I'm overcoming the heat loss and the temperature keeps going up? And the, one of the tricks to this is, um, one of the, is called reading the fire is knowing when to look into the firebox and knowing when to stoke. And this you have to learn by looking at your kiln. You've got to look, you've got, for every particular kiln it's different, and it depends on the wood you're using and so forth, but you, like, when do you, you put in some wood, you stoke, and it, it catches fire and it burns. When do you put in the next load of wood? 
that's something you have to learn for how your kiln responds. And it depends on the size of the wood and the type of the wood. But that, this is part of your stoking cycle, is learning when do I put in that next, if I put in too much wood too fast, I'll choke the fire. It won't burn, it won't catch. And in the meantime, the kiln is losing heat like crazy. So while the wood is trying to catch fire and burn, the kiln is dropping in temperature because it's losing heat. So it's kind of like I'm, I've got to keep pumping the fl I've got to keep pumping the heat in there at just the right rate to keep the temperature keep moving up. The minute I stop pumping that heat in, the temperature will, will, will stop or actually drop, and that's the stalling that people talk about. And oh, this is another case where also the kiln design is very important. You can get. I mean, I've seen some kilns that, from the minute they were built, they had problems with stalling because for one or for different, because either the firebox wasn't big enough or they didn't allow enough air. All these other features contribute to that. Do I have the, do, are the openings for the air big enough to give me enough air when I need it? One of the things that's not about to think about with a, with a wood kiln or any kiln where you're burning something is, it's, it, 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 it always is a good idea, I think, to have the openings bigger than they need to be, you can always close them back up, but you can't open them up once you built the kiln. So if you have air holes, you have lots of air holes, and you have maybe even more than you need, that doesn't matter, you can always block them off. But if you get to, I've seen kilns that didn't have enough air inlet, and they're getting to a point where they need to burn a lot of fuel, and they simply can't get enough air into the, into the kiln to burn all the fuel, and the kiln stalls, and it never reaches temperature. So all these things, the kiln design is really important. How, is, the fire, is the firebox big enough? If I have a huge chamber like this, the size of this room, I'm gonna need an enormous firebox to put enough heat in to heat up that kiln. So just is the firebox big enough <coughs> just to heat up that kiln? So these things are all important. Um, another, another if, if not stalling, another thing sometimes you can get is slow burning or failure to reach temperature. You just can't quite get it up there. Um, it could be the things like the chimney height. The chimney might simply not be, might be tall enough to create a strong enough draft to pull in enough air to burn all the wood you need. And the chimney, the chimney will only get so hot, and then, which means that it will only pull in a certain amount of air, and that's it, it's done. That's all the air it can pull in. Well, that might not be enough air to burn all the fuel that you want to put into the firebox. So if the chimney isn't tall enough or large enough, that could limit the, the, the burning rate. Um, or as I mentioned already, if you don't have enough air inlets, that can limit the burning rate. If I can't get enough air into the kiln, I'm putting wood in there, but there has to be enough air to burn all that wood. And if I can't get that, that air in there, that can limit the burning rate. The wood can also be too large. The size of the wood matters. Because if you think about it, wood is only burning on the, basically it's, it's, it's coming off the surface. And if I put in, a couple of huge chunks of wood, that's gonna catch fire and burn a lot slower than that same amount of wood broken up into little sticks. Well, yeah, ultimately I'll get the same amount of heat out of it, but the rate I get it out of it is important because if it takes too long for that wood, that big chunk of wood to burn, the kiln drops in temperature because it's losing heat. It's kind of, another analogy I think of sometimes is like, you have a flat tire and you haven't patched the leak and you're trying to pump up the tire and the more you increase the air pressure, the more the air leaks out of the tire. And so you've got to keep pumping faster and faster and faster to get any air to even stay in the tire. That's kind of like what it is when you're firing the kiln. You've got to keep putting air, heat in faster and faster and faster because it's being lost faster and faster. The other thing that can even come in is things like how dry is the wood? 
Wet wood is really expensive in terms of firing a kiln because it takes a lot of energy to heat up water. And if you're putting in, if you're throwing wet wood into the kiln, the, the, the first thing that's gonna happen is I'm gonna heat up that water before the temperature of the kiln will rise. I've gotta heat up that, that, that water. That takes a lot of energy. So even if the wood is damp, that can, that can slow down the heating rate because I'm wasting heat heating up water rather than heating up wood. And that can, so that can vary a lot. And another, another thing that people run into a problem is inefficiency or high wood usage. You seem like using an awful lot of wood. Well, I guess this goes back to firebox design and the size of the firebox. Um, it also goes back to the overall construction of the kiln the, and the arrangement and the insulation of the kiln. Um, again, these hard brick kilns are horribly insulated, but even different shapes of kilns lose heat faster than other shapes. And a box kind of kiln will lose heat slower than a long tube because there's more surface area. So it, for the same amount of wood, a, a boxy shape is more efficient than a long tube in terms of heat loss from the kiln. So it's going to take me more heat, more, I'm going to have to put in more heat to heat up a tube design than I will sort of a box design. Um, and also too much air, you can, there's actually such a thing as too much air Aside from oxidation or reduction, it takes a lot of heat to heat up air. And so if I'm putting in a lot more air, into, letting a lot more air into the kiln than I need to burn the fuel, I still have to heat up that air. And so I'm wasting fuel heating up air. Aside from whether even I care about the oxidation or reduction. So excess, excess air can actually hurt the heat rise. Another, another problem that um, is, is hot and cold spots in a kiln. And this is very common with wood, um, and it also is very common depending on the kiln design, is that with any kiln, it's hard to get uniform heating of the whole kiln, the, the wear chamber, but it's, it's also very, it, it really is influenced by the kiln design. Um, and it's also influenced by the stacking, because as I mentioned, before, the, once you've got your kiln built, you're done with the kiln design. But there are things you can do in terms of stacking and other little barriers and things you can put inside to redirect the flame. So, how you direct the flame with stacking or with fake partial walls and barriers inside the kiln, you can control, you can sometimes counteract some of these natural hot and cold spots. As I mentioned, like if you have a, if you have square corners on a kiln, square corners tend to be cold spots because they tend to be dead spots. So anywhere you've got a, a square corner, the flame does not want to go into the, all the way in and then turn and then go out. It'll just, it'll just skirt the corner. So if I have a corner, if I have a if the corner, this, is, this could be either looking at a kiln or down at the kiln. The flame is not going to do that. The flame's going to do that. So this, this is not getting as much of the flame as, 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 you know, as if it was a curve. And, and also, and part of this is the fact I've got a long flame again. So that's part of the kiln arrangement is where is this flame reaching? How have I redirected the flame? If you'd like to see a video version of this presentation, just head out to YouTube and search for Washington Street Studios. Um, another problem that you see sometimes in wood kilns is unmelted ash. And, and, some, some, and, and, and again, this varies. some people like the, the crusty look on the pots and other people don't. If you don't like it, I mean, I like, I, like, I like to use glazes in wood firing. And so I don't want a lot of crusty ash. And one of the things, one of the, either, one of the problems could be either the temperature is not hot enough so that the ash didn't get a chance to melt, so you were still accumulating ash on the pots and it didn't get a chance to melt, or the, the late stoking was too violent. 
that you're throwing in wood and you're stirring up the ash and you're creating a lot of ash too late in the firing to allow enough time for that ash to, to melt. Because the ash will stick, once the pots get hot, the ash will stick to it, but you have to know enough, enough time for that ash to melt in place. And so if, the, if you're accumulating ash and it's sticking to the pot right up until the end of the firing, and you're not allowing enough time then for that ash to melt without new ash landing, you'll end up, you can end up with crusty pots. And then the last, last thing, I got a couple more things, but then the last thing would be pots slumping in the firing. And this basically is, is the choice of the clay. Is you've got, when you're firing with wood, you've got to pick clay bodies that, because you're never going to fire to just cone 10. So you've got to pick clay bodies that you know can take you know, much higher temperatures than simply cone 10, because chances are they're going to see temperatures higher than cone 10. And if not, they're going to slump. So why fire with wood? Well, currently there, there, is, there is renewed interest in wood firing. This kind of, actually, we're going through kind of a renaissance right now in wood firing. There's, a whole lot, there's really renewed interest in it. Um, some people I know fire just because they like the sense of history and they like, you know, this sort of a low-tech simplicity kind of associated with wood firing. Um, depending on where you live, it might be a cheap or a readily available fuel. Maybe, you know, that. Um, there's the aesthetic effects. A lot of it is, you know, you, I mean, personally, I like the wood fire just because I like fire. And I, and, I, and I like the sort of the, and I, well, I like the idea that you can have this sort of this destruction, and out of this destruction can come something beautiful. And I sort of like that. So I, I sort of like that, that I, but I, like, I just like the destruction. Um, but then, you know, and you can get, you get the flashing effects and ash accumulation and ash deposits. So there are a lot of aesthetic effects that people, that are kind of unique to wood firing. And then also, I think there's also the serendipity effect that with wood firing, there are a lot of opportunities to have ac wonderful accidents happen that, you know, and there's, there's a saying that's interesting, it goes back to like electric firing, where people say electric firing is great because it's so predictable, and electric firing is terrible because it's so predictable. <laughs> and so that's the one, that's the good thing about wood firing is there are a lot of opportunities for sort of things to happen that you didn't anticipate, and a lot of times some wonderful things to happen. Also some horrible things to happen, but that's, that's, another, that's another feature of it. Okay, and the last thing I had, well, a couple, couple more things, and then uh, some disadvantages of wood firing. Um, first of all, firing is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Preparation, you've got the preparation of the fuel and storage of the fuel. You've got the preparation of the kiln. Typically, it you want to clean it out between firings. You've got to prepare it. You've got to kiln wash the shelves and the posts. You've got, excuse me, you've got to prepare the wadding, and you've got to do the wadding. Um, the, the actual effort of firing itself can be a big effort. The kiln, unlike gas kilns and electric kilns, the, the, the fire needs, it needs constant attention. You usually generally don't walk away from a wood firing. Um, and you, you often frequently, it's not uncommon, you need, you need a crew, you know. So it's unusual if you can, if one person can fire a kiln without some kind of a help. So you need a crew to fire, and, and, and long firings, you need shifts. So this is more planning for the firing. Um, and long firings are very common. I mean, it's unusual to have a firing that's less than 12 or 24 hours or something like that. Usually, you know, they're days usually. Um, the firing actually can be dangerous. The, the stoking, depending again on the design of the kiln, stoking the wood in the firebox can be really, really hot. In some cases you need, you know, protective gear, but it can be pretty dangerous actually in terms of the heat exposure. So that's another thing. And then the cleanup, there's, there's a lot of cleanup involved after each firing, just cleaning the site, cleaning the wood, you've got to empty out the ash pit, I'm cleaning the kiln. So there's, there's a lot of work involved in wood firing. Um, building, in terms of building a kiln, um, in terms of disadvantages or things to consider, you need a suitable location. You need a place where it's a little bit, you don't want, 
you don't, I wouldn't put one in a place where I knew I've got steady winds, for instance, that are gonna blow down my chimney. I want it protected somewhat. Um, the bricks are expensive. Bricks, these refractory bricks are three to four dollars per brick, and you might need thousands of them. You're gonna need thousands of them to build a kiln. I just built a kiln a couple of years ago, and they were $3.75 per brick. Um, and also, the bricks are not good insulators. So, that's, so that you, ha you, sort of, you at least have to line the kiln with these bricks that will, that will not be eaten away by the ash, um, but they're, they're also horrible insulators. The furniture must take, the kiln furniture, the shelves and the post has to take high temperatures. You can't, you can't assume that you're only gonna go to cone 10. So you need to make the, 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 the posts and the shelves have to be out of something that can take the high temperature. And you must have a chimney, generally. You're not gonna probably build an updraft. So you have to take, uh, you have, you're gonna have to have a chimney. The last thing I had here was just a few points to remember in sort of generalities. First of all, if you're firing, you want to select clays for, for two things, for temperature stability, but also for their, their response to the flame. Like, most, if you're interested in flashing, certain clay bodies will flash and produce these colors really well, and others are absolutely dead. I've done, I do a lot of tests just because of my background, and I've got some clay bodies that at cone 11 and 12 do nothing. They come out looking like concrete. And so there's a, there's a lot of variability in clay bodies in terms of their ability to respond to the flame and acquire these flashing colors. And so if you're interested in that, that's a, con that's a consideration, not just the temperature, but, but how will the, how will, what's the capability of the clay to respond to the flame? Um, the other thing is that in general, when you're firing with, with um, wood, most pots are not completely glazed. One of the whole points of firing with wood is to look at these effects of the flame on the clay, in the Barrett clay. So if you're, gonna, if you're gonna completely glaze your pots, the question is, is why are you wood firing? If you're gonna glaze every, every inch of the pot, why are you firing with wood? Because that's, you're missing out on a big part of the effects. Um, Again, these are points I mentioned before, but I'm kind of summarizing here. The, the, the pot stacking really has a huge effect on the flame path, so that's something you need to learn in terms of, of stacking the kiln. Um, the stoking cycle is really important in terms of getting heat rise and in terms of the amount of the wood and how, how often do you stoke and how much do you stoke. And it can even, I've, I've, I had a kiln that I was firing a while back where it even mattered whether I crossed the wood or didn't cross the wood when I put it in the firebox. If I didn't cross the wood, then essentially I was making one big block of wood. So when I was stoking, it was very important to, to, to cross the wood as I was stoking into the firebox to make sure that all the parts of the wood were exposed to the flame. If it all just lay parallel, then all these pieces were essentially just making a big log in the firebox. So just depending on, I could see the difference in the, temp, in the heat rise, depending on how much I crossed the wood or didn't cross the wood in the firebox. And, the, and along with that is paying constant attention, especially if you're new to the kiln, and reading the fire. And there's two things you can do is look at the fire in the firebox and get used to the ideas, when is the optimum time? How, how fast and how much is the wood burning? When do I put in the next load? And also look at the chimney. What's, the, what, what's coming out of the chimney? If I've got really heavy, dense black smoke coming out of the chimney, then I'm in reduction, and I probably don't want to put in any, any, any more wood at that point. When the chimney starts to clear, and the smoke is dying down, then it means the wood is catching, and then I'm getting, I'm getting closer to the point where I can put in more wood. So you're looking at the fire in the firebox, and you're also looking at what's coming out of the chimney. So read the fire and read the chimney. And I, just as I mentioned before, if you're building a kiln, you want to plan the construction based on the available shelves 
or the stacking space you have in mind? How much work do you, do you plan to fire? Um, and, and, sort of, and so what's, and what shelves do I have available? And you want to base it on that, the stacking space, and also the form of the available fuel. What kind of, you've got to think ahead about, what kind of fuel are you likely to get? I knew a guy that built a kiln that fired wood pellets, and he could, and he could cut the pallet, and he could basically he could put a whole pallet in the firebox. So his firebox door was a slit that was a little over four feet wide, and he'd shove a pallet in there, and that was his fuel. And he knew that when he built the kiln. So, so that he, so that part of this is thinking about is what's your don't just you're not going to build a fuel a wood kiln and then go looking for fuel. What's your wood source likely to be? Because that might determine the shape of the firebox or the design of the kiln. Um, and different, the other thing, another important thing to think about if you're thinking about building kilns, is different kiln designs to do different things. For instance, there's a kind of, there's a design of kiln called a train kiln because it looks sort of like a train, like a steam engine. And typically, it'll have a chimney, and then there's a long tube, and then there's some kind of a firebox here, either inside or, and the flame, the firebox is here, and the flame goes like this through the work and then up the chimney. And this, the, the top of this tube or the top of this long coffin-like structure lifts off and you load the pots typically down through the top. And these kilns are, I, I hate them because I think they're horribly, at least with this kind of a firebox, they're horribly inefficient, but they give great ash. They produce a lot of, because the ash is dropping down, you get a high, so if you like a lot of ash on your pots without excessively long firings, this is a great kiln for it. If you're firing pots with a lot of glazes, this is probably not a kiln design you want to use. So one of the things to think about is, what type of work do you want to make? Because that, that can affect the choice of the kiln design. And different kiln designs yield different, different, uh, different effects in terms of ash and flashing and so forth, okay? Um, Couple of just in terms of kiln design things to remember also is that preheating the air really improves the efficiency of the kiln. So if you can, you'd like the air coming in to pass over the coals at the bottom of the firebox before it actually gets to the wood. Because if I've got cold air hitting the wood, before anything can happen, I have to heat up the air. So I'm wasting fuel heating up the air. Well, if I have coals sitting in the bottom of a firebox, if I have coals sitting in the bottom of the firebox, if I can pass the air over the coals, then that's a, that'll be much more efficient. So a typical design, what might be, if here's my, here's the inside of a kiln, and here's my grate, and my wood is sitting on here, and this is, here's my pots, and the chimney is this way. If I can have my air intake, here's a pile of coals that fall down from the grate in the bottom of the firebox. And if I can have the air passing, the incoming air passing over the coals, so before it even heats the, hits the wood, it's gotten heated up, I'll get much more efficient burning because I, I'm, I'm already, I'm using the coals to heat the air. So this is, if I can design the fire, and then this passes into the kiln, if I can design the firebox like that, it's much more efficient than having just cold air coming in and hitting the wood. Much more efficient. And I also, need, I also need to have, this way also, I, if I control the size of these openings, that gives me the, the, control of the amount of air that I'm coming in, as well as preheating it. And the other, the other thing I mentioned already also is different types and sizes of wood have different effects. They, they burn at different rates. Pine, for instance, burns a lot faster than, than oak, but ultimately pine doesn't yield as much heat as the same amount of oak. So it, the pine will burn faster and kind of give you an explosion of heat, 
but it doesn't but by volume it doesn't a cord of oak will give a cord of oak will yield a lot more heat than a cord of pine but not as quickly so the type of wood also has a big effect on it um, and the last thing as I mentioned before is you also remember you need a, if you're going to build a kiln you need a shelter for the kiln and also a shelter for the wood you need to protect it from the weather The Potter's Roundtable is brought to you by Washington Street Studios and our patrons. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends. If you want to learn more about Washington Street Studios and shared studio memberships, please visit our website at www.hfclay.com. Thank you, and we'll see you again next time on The Potter's Roundtable.